it's very important for us to, to um, have mentors in life and people that um, inspire us and encourage us. And uh, whether it's someone that's sort of a peer like Susan was and just sharing there, or maybe somebody who's gone before you that's older than you, maybe it's uh, someone that's in your family network, uh, 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 maybe a person that was a part of a church at one time that you stayed connected with through the years. But in this area of prayer and intercession, of taking uh, the authority of the believer and taking um, the battle to the enemy, it's helpful to be inspired by others. One of the people that uh, I know in particular some of you women get inspired by that is a national speaker is uh, Priscilla Shire, right? And she's pretty good on this subject of uh, the uh, authority of the believer and spiritual uh, warfare and prayer. And uh, I went and I was uh, watching a little bit of her this last week when she spoke at the huge Passion Conference a couple, three years ago, uh, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's a lot of young adults. And uh, they, I mean, like 60,000 gathered in an auditorium. And uh, she was excited to be able to speak to them. And I loved how she sort of started off. She started talking about her family, and she has four boys. They're all very big, athletic kind of boys as they're growing up. And uh, she describes some of the uh, journey that you may be familiar with, where your kids are in travel leagues, and her boy was playing baseball, little league, and they always have these tournaments, and in the tournaments, uh, you never know how long those are going to last, and you're in a hot, muggy day, she's from Texas, and you're just, you know, quietly wishing that maybe your child would lose, but you're not going to say that, so you can all go home, right? And so on the long tournaments, one win is like, oh, great, we get to go to the next per game, those kinds of things. And she said, you know, we were in this long tournament, and uh, her one young son was, was excited, and they just won a great game, and they went to, uh, to have lunch, and she said, good, I get some air conditioning, and I actually get water, that uh, cold water that has ice in it, and those kinds of things, and they went back to the diamonds for their next game, and she unloaded her car with all the gear, you know? You got uh, the, the umbrellas, the chairs, and the, the coolers, and the, the balls, and the bats, and she's hauling this as her young son is headed towards the next dugout, the game with the next dugout. And she saw that he had this sort of bounce in his step. And one of the reasons he had this bounce in his step is because he's pretty good. And, and he'd been hitting some home runs. In fact, she described when he first uh, hit it over the fence as a 10-year-old kid. And you're like, wow, he's, he's got some talent and he's able to get behind that thing. And so he was fairly good baseball player. And she said, I was walking right behind him, and he's, he's making his way to the next field, and he has a bounce in his step, and he's walking along, and all of a sudden, she said, I saw that, that he slowed down, or his soul, shoulders began to sink, and his head dropped a little bit, and she goes like, what's, what's happening to my boy? He, he was confident, and we were walking to the next game, and he had a bounce in his step. And then all of a sudden, she realized why he had changed his demeanor. And that was the team that they were playing were all laying on the grass underneath this huge big oak tree. And she saw them and her son had saw them and this was the team they had played earlier in the season and they had gotten annihilated by this team. They were like really, really good baseball players. And so that bounce and confidence in his step turned into 
anxiety, insecurity, and he was, he was seen to be fearful, and he was wrenching his hands and what to do. And as they were walking by these players, there were two of them that were whispering to one another. Not really a whisper because they could hear them, and they were saying out loud, and, and the one said, that's that big kid from the Red Sox. The other kid, you, you mean the one that just hits it way over the fence? Yeah, and not only that, he, he plays first base and he tags guys like, he gets everybody out. The other kid, no way. That's Jerry Shire? Yeah. And her son heard those opponents say his name and say his name with a sense of trepidation. And she said, I saw those shoulders come back. I saw that chin come up a little bit. The confidence and the step started to be there. In fact, man, he was, he was so pumped up, we had to bring him down a few notches to play that game. And she said this, when you discover that your enemy knows your name and is in fear and trepidation of you, it will change the way that you walk. And this is one of the critical things for us as we look at this subject of the authority of the believer. It's for you to get away from those whispers of the adversary that say you're no good and start to realize this very important thing that the adversary actually does know your name and knows who you are. And so the question is this this morning, do you know what the enemy knows about your, your authority and position in Jesus Christ? Or do you all start to shrink back, man, woe is me, the life's not going well, or I'm not a very good person, and this. And, and you get your identity caught up in the naysaying, the voice of the accuser, when in reality, when you confront the accuser and the spiritual realm, they know your name. For you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and it's his righteousness that's applied to you. They know what Scripture says about you as a believer, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin. They know that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. They know that you have not been given a spirit of fear, of timidity, but a spirit of, of power and love and self-discipline. They know what this word says about you as a believer. And you need to step up to the plate knowing your identity in Christ for you to take on the battles and the life that's set before you tomorrow morning, Monday morning. Do you know what the enemy knows about your authority and your position in Jesus Christ as a believer? And if you do, you will walk with a bounce in your step, even amidst dire and dark circumstances that may have come your way even this last week. 
we said this, the believer in Jesus Christ has been given authority in Christ to exercise the power of Christ in the affairs of the world for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We have been given the keys to heaven. Our prayers themselves do not make a difference, but Jesus acting through our authoritative prayers with his divine power makes all the difference in the world. Our prayers move the hand of God because we are doing them in connection with our relationship with Jesus. And as Susan was sharing with us, that connection with the Father, that connection of his initiative, what's my marching orders? When you roll out of bed in the morning, you put, oh my goodness, today's this, this, and this, I got to accomplish that. Do you pause in a moment of prayer or devotions in the morning and say, Lord, what would you have for my day? Who am I going to encounter today that needs a word of encouragement? Who am I going to encounter today that's in a place of fear and I can come alongside of them and maybe just say a simple thing like, I'll pray for you. Oh my goodness, I would never do that at work. I say, I pray. Why not? You've been placed on this earth with the authority of Christ to forward his kingdom. Remember how he taught his disciples to pray? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are his ambassador of the gospel. You're ambassador of hope. And so you get your instructions from him, and then it's him living within you that's working through you to reach others like you that's supposed to order your day and your week, even your whole life, your career. This is your identity. What you do to make a living, secondary, important. That's part of your mission field. But your identity is you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, a child of God, a co-heir with Jesus who's been unleashed. (gasps) There he goes. Do you know? Is, is that him? Is that Gary Bowman? Is that Susan Jerome? The enemy knows your name. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I tell you what, it's one of the most important decisions, the most important decision you will ever make. And it's not because of anything you can do. It's because of what Christ has done and you choose to let him come into your life You repent of your sin and you turn from the indifference of the world and you come and you follow Jesus and let his life live through you. It'll change your life. It'll change your identity. It gives you the purpose and the inspiration to roll out of bed every day to know that you are on mission with him. You're on mission with him. This whole thing of understanding who you are is unfolded in the book of Ephesians. They say that Ephesians is probably the best uh, work, the most premier work of the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be on the wrong side, and then he came to commit his life to follow Jesus. He transformed his life, and the Apostle Paul became the greatest missionary this world has ever known. And he would write these letters to people in different countries and different parts. One of the letters that he wrote was to Christians that lived in a city called Ephesus. 
which was at the hub of commerce and everything in the Mediterranean, Middle Eastern world at that time. And it wasn't a letter he just wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. They took that letter and then they did it by circuit writer and they took that letter around to all kinds of places, to all kinds of churches, places that were seeking to discover who Jesus was. And if you look at the letter to the Ephesians, you will find him spending the front part of this letter truly getting Christians to understand their identity of who they are. There goes their believer. And if you look at chapter 1, and we've been given reference to this passage, and I want to park there a little bit, and then we're going to swing it to the end to give a discussion on uh, the armor of God, because that's where he takes it to. But to understand that discussion on the armor of God, you have to understand what he's saying really at the front part of that. So if you open your scriptures with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, you will find these words. The Apostle Paul is saying this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Oh, that you may know what is the hope of his calling in your life. What are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. The strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I want to pause there because this is critical. At his right hand in heavenly places. That's where Jesus is now described after the death, the resurrection of Jesus. He ascended to the Father. He's with God and at his right hand. And in that position of authority as a king, he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That's us, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this whole front section to Ephesians, this letter that he's writing to send off so believers understand their position, who they are as saved individuals and sojourners and followers of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's like this big run-on sentence about our identity. You're not the loser. You're not the broke person. You're not the person who made all those mistakes and you can't correct them in life. You're not the person who almost made it to the top. You are a believer in Jesus and identified with him, and you're identified with him in his position in the heavenly realms, and he is over all powers and authority. That's his position. And you're right there with him is what's going to be declared by the Apostle Paul. He slips then into what we know as chapter 2. But really, it's a continuation of the same thought and theme. He says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. 
Now, I love Ephesians 2. When I, when I do spiritual warfare, deliverance work, we go to Ephesians 2. We unpack Ephesians 2. But when Ephesians 2 starts out with, as, uh, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, there's actually, in the grammatical structure of what's written there, there there's, uh, there's not a complete sentence. And you're, you're sort of like, what's this connected to? Well, what it's connected to is what was immediately before it. What was immediately before it? Ephesians 1.20. He might, which he brought about, his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then you jump to verse 1 of chapter 2, and you were dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, he's connecting these two. Jesus died. He was dead. For three days, he was in the grave. God himself became human flesh, the incarnation, right? That's what Christmas is. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. He became one of us, and he took on the sins of the world on that cross, and he died, and he was dead. And you... We're dead too. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, not maybe you think a physical death, but a spiritual death. In your condition, pre-Jesus, without his forgiveness and his power in your life, you are dead. Some of you this morning, if you've never come to that place of giving your life to Christ and becoming alive in him, as we say, fully alive in Christ, um, it's hard for a dead person to enjoy life to the full. It just is. You're dead. You're dead spiritually because of sin. And Paul is saying, Jesus was dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when you used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who's now at work, and those who are disobedient, he's saying that all these things, you were dead to your sinful nature, you were dead because of the ways of the world, you were dead because there's this attack of, of the spirit of disobedience, the devil himself who seeks to work in your life, you were dead. This was your identity before you became a Christian. But God, who is rich in mercy, in verse 4, because of his great love, which he loved us with, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. And this is where it says, for by grace you have been saved, not by our works, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. You came in and you found a chair this morning to sit down. Maybe it's your usual spot. Maybe somebody had your spot and you had to move to another place in the room. My, oh my, the anxiety that comes with that. My family growing up, all seven of us, 
we set seven rows back on the right-hand side of the Fort Wayne Gospel Temple, week in and week out. Some of my siblings might be watching this morning, and you remember, we sat there. We, we had our space, and we would move if somebody else sat there, but that was our seat. But I want you to know, you're not seated in some gray chair here this morning, merely at the Awakening Church in Marietta, Indiana. Or you're not seated somewhere in your living room on couches. By the way, your back row people, those couches are there for one week. I just want you to know that. We just we couldn't get them back out, but you're all blessed back there sitting on couches this week, so enjoy the season. But the reality is, in the spiritual realm, you're seated somewhere else. And you are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places because you have been raised from the dead and you are with him. That's where you are. You are with him just like we were sitting up here side by side and Jesus is sitting here at the throne and you have a seat right next to him. You are seated right here and he is above all dominion, power, and authority. And when you go to pray and you pray, oh Lord Jesus, I'm weak down here, I'm really pathetic pathetic this week. It's not been good. No, you need to reckon with who your identity is. The enemy knows who you are. Yes, you are that person, and you are seated with him in the heavenly places, and the Satan and all of his workers, they understand. They know. They know your position is with Christ in the heavenly realms, and when you pray, and when you speak with authority as a believer, you need to reckon upon that identity, not the identity of what everybody else has been telling you or not telling you this week. Your identity is with Christ. He has raised us with him, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so Paul continues to try to unpack this, to encourage the believer, this is who you are. And so when you pray, you are praying with his authority, and you can take initiative for his will to come about on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's why when you move through Ephesians, he comes to the last chapter in Ephesians and he takes this turn because of this position of you seated with him in the heavenly realms, far above all dominion, power, and authority. You need to understand this, Christian believer. He says, finally, finally then, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He knows who you are. He knows where you're seated. He knows there's no condemnation. He knows you don't have a spirit of fear, timidity, but power, <coughs> purpose, and discipline, and sound mind, and love. He knows these things, but that doesn't keep him from scheming. Doesn't keep him from scheming. I was sharing with someone recently, maybe I've shared with you before, Screw Tape Letters is a classic that's written by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a series of little letters that make belief, in one sense, allegory, but behind it, all the spiritual truth. He wrote the Screw Tape Letters. Screw Tape was a lead demon who was overseeing a sub-demon by the name of Wormwood. And Wormwood's goal was to keep this human being away from becoming a Jesus follower. And true enough, that person ended up struggling with becoming a Christian. But they finally made the choice to step away 
and cross the line of faith, commit their life to Jesus. And then the next letter, screw tape's like, way to go. You really messed up now, Wormwood. You let this person who was a sinner, who was dead, who was lost, become a believer and a follower of Jesus. And then screw tape says to Wormwood, all right, this is what you do to neutralize them. This is what you do to just make them ineffective in the world. And one of the key things was just make them nominal Christians. Nominal, I got it. You know, I'm not going to wear, I'm not going to be bombastic about it. I want to be a religious freak, you know, to other people. I'm just going to sort of have my own little faith here, and you're going to privatize your faith, but in the public realm around your friend, no. I'm, that is the work of the enemy. You live in that kind of world, it's very discouraging at times because you got this uh, Jekyll and Hyde type of personality. You know, he's like, who am I? Am I this person or I'm this person? No, just be the one person who you are, a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a Bible thumper. Be a genuine lover of people. But do not shy away from who you are as a believer in Jesus because that's the work of one demon to another. And so Paul knew this because he was in the battle. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Why? Because there are schemes going out against you day in and day out. This is how you take them down. This is how you neutralize them. This is how you make them nominal. This is how you put them in a place of fear. This is how you discourage them. This is how you get them focused on the wrong thing for identity. Schemes all over the place. And the schemes aren't just in your life. They're in everybody's life especially those who are believers in Christ. And what we see happening in the world today is I believe there's some devilish schemes going on inside the church and with believers in Jesus Christ that are keeping us from horsepowering up and becoming, oh, you're that person. Step up to the plate, believer in Christ, and let's go to bat in this world of darkness. But you've got to know where you're positioned and who you are and that there are schemes going out against you. And when you know that there are these schemes, then you need to understand this, that your struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of the darkness, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the world in which we live. It's not some special, super-duper Christian you know, kind of world to understand. No, this is reality. Let's define reality. They say defining reality is the first step towards progress, right? Well, if you want to progress, let's define reality. This is reality, Paul says. And the reality is there are forces and authorities working against you, scheming to take you down. And so then he transitions to talk about what we've known, what maybe you've known as the armor of God. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Step up to the plate, believer. Understand your authority, your position with Christ in the heavenly realm. And some of the little deliverance work I have been involved in over the course of my years, in the early years, I would get myself in situations where the devil and the, the demonic spirits that would end up sort of wrestling 
with this person's life and we were walking through a time of testing and then investigation and then deliverance. It's sort of a process we walked through. And I, I would get, as a young person, intimidated if there was some demonstrative kinds of things would happen and I would go, oh, oh man, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into? Everybody think I'm weird. This is going on, but this person's got issues and it's more than just what meets the eye on the human uh, spectrum of things. There's something else in the spiritual realm. What do I do? And I saw myself him hawing around and stepping back, and I wasn't standing firm. My shoulders would slouch, my head would drop, and I'd start to wrench my hands, you know, not in front of the person, but I'd be thinking, and, and then I would have to remember, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm seated with him in the heavenly realms. It's not my authority, it's his authority. It's his power, but I've been gifted the opportunity to, to let his power work through me in this moment. And so I would stand firm in the midst of that battle. And I would stand firm whenever there's some demonstrative thing or a challenge even or wrestling in a, in a prayer session like that. But friends, I, I know when I describe these sessions and I've chosen this series to be a little bit more forward about it because you know, I'm just that age in life that I don't care anymore, and I see what the needs are in the body and in our world and things, and so I'm just there. It's just not, not to, to describe it as like, well, you don't do that. I'm not. That's not it. It's just like, this is the spiritual realm, and you may not be in those kinds of intense prayer environments or freedom environments, but you are underneath the same battles and challenges this very week. Stuff that's floated through your mind, that's a spiritual battle. Sins that you've fallen into that you know that that's not what is of God. That's a spiritual battle. That friend who's come to you for advice and just said, would you pray for me? And you're going like, well, how do I do it? That is a spiritual battle. And you need to stand firm in those moments of prayer, in those moments of obedience to Christ when you're tempted. You need to stand firm when you see the opportunity to reach out and encourage someone in the kingdom of God. You need to stand firm and not shrink back with the fears of the adversary. He says, well, who are you? He wants you to hear him say that, but underneath him and his workers, oh no, there goes that believer. And step up to the plate. And when you step up to the plate, you need to don yourself with the full armor of God. There's stuff going on that doesn't Meet the eye. Meet reality with the eye of what's going on. You know, some of you know I have a yard that I really try to grow some nice grass on. It's a fairly big lot. I appreciate it. It has a nice mountain view from there. And I had a rabbit story. Well, every now and then I get a gopher story. I had one of those gopher stories, you know, where you have a nice yard and all of a sudden your yard starts to be eaten up and things popping up and down. You got gophers? I get so mad at gophers because they destroy a lot of work. Try to gas them out. You try to, I try to stick water down there and hose them out. The final rails. I just have to trap them. And I trapped my gopher this last week. That gopher ain't gonna pop its head up anymore and ruin my yard, man. That whack-a-mole kind of thing going on. I got him right. Well, there's stuff popping up in your lives that's going on, but there's stuff in the subsurface, and you need to know that you're in a spiritual battle. Your friend's in a spiritual battle, and you need to pray accordingly. 
Pray accordingly that the adversary cannot wreak his havoc, his devilish schemes in your life, in your friend's life, and go after, but you go after not in your power and authority, but the power and the authority of Christ. So stand firm then. And when you're going at the work, and you're going out to deal with the gophers, you need to put on something. And we're not going to park here today what this armor is. Some of you heard it before. But there's six pieces. There's actually seven pieces of armor. You need to suit up. You need to suit up when you go to battle. The first is the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And then the breastplate of righteousness in place. And then your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This whole understanding of the the belt of truth, it's actually, in some versions, it talks about gird up your loins with truth. And that's because the the men in the day would would wear the long, lengthy things, and they'd have a sash across here, and they would grab their uh, garments at the bottom, bring them up, tuck them in the sash. Why? Because they were going to go to work. And so gird up your loins, the belt place of truth, is like get your mind focused on the truth. There is absolute truth in our world. We live in a world of relativity. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. No. In fact, if if that's what you believe is really true, then there is truth because you just said that's what truth is. There is absolute truth. And Scripture reveals to us with truth. And when you go out to battle, when you go out to try to defeat the enemy, you go out to find out why is all this stuff popping up in my life, you need to be embedded in truth. And that truth needs to have taken a hold of your life because everything else is sort of tucked into it. Instead, we can't go deep in this stuff today. The second thing is the breastplate of righteousness. You're putting on the breastplate of righteousness to be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes, that righteousness is foremostly the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of being at the right hand of the Father. The second thing is that you need to walk a life of righteousness. Standing upright in God. Feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is the good news that you can have peace with God and you can have the peace of God. And for you to understand that in your mind as you go into battle to encounter the enemy, as you go into battle to pray for that friend or to be able to encourage them. In addition to all this, then take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Their shields in that day were sort of like leather, and they would uh, dip them in water and soak them in water because the arrows that were shot at them had fiery tips in them. And if those fiery tips hit their shield that had been soaked in water, it would extinguish the flame. And the flames of the devil's schemes are coming at you and I each and every day and your friends that you're praying for. Take on the helmet of salvation. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your salvation found in him. Understand, put that helmet on that you are saved. Your identity is in him. Past, present, and future. Sins are forgiven. He calls you a child of God. Welcome into my kingdom, the Lord says. That helmet of salvation girds your mind. And then the sword of the Spirit, which it gives here the specific instruction, is the Word of God. 
Take truth to the battle. It's what Jesus did with the temptations. It is written, it is written, it is written. You need to know the word. Memorize the word. Pull out that word when you're discouraged, your friend's discouraged, and take it to the enemy. And then Paul goes on and he says what really is a seventh one, and he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Prayer is part of the armor. Are you girded up today? Are you ready to go battle? I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close. And we're going to do something as a little bit of a challenge to take the message home, okay? Paul finishes out and he says this, pray also for me that wherever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, the good news for which I am an ambassador in chains. He was writing it from prison. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He's in prison, why? Because he was fearless in being able to proclaim the gospel and they tried to shut him down. All of this that we've shared on today, I want you to take it, not as knowledge in your head, I want you to take it out of here as a practice in your life. What I want you to know is this, you have the authority as a believer to pray for others with a spirit of expectation, whether it's a health issue, a financial issue, whether it's a lifestyle issue, whether it's a purpose and life kind of issue, you have the ability to pray effectively in the spiritual realm against the devil's schemes over other people's lives and just maybe their own sinful indifference to what God's plan is for their life. You have the authority as a believer because you are seated at the right hand of God. You have been raised as Christ has been raised. So, Go forth with knowledge and understanding with your position in Christ. But I want you to pray. Pray for people. He said what? Pray also for me. Who are you praying for today? Do you have people that you say, I'll pray for you and then you forget? You feel like your life's too busy to remember to pray? Or you don't know how to pray? Paul said, pray for me that I may fearlessly make known this gospel. And as Susan said, you're asking God, give me a leading to who to pray for or how to pray. She was sharing with me last week, you came knowing that God was going to have you pray with someone. And after service... God led you to that person and you prayed for them. I knew what was going on in that person's life. You told me this week, Susan, I knew that that was led of the Lord and that person's need in their life. Are you being led by the Spirit to pray for people? I want you to do something. I want you to know that you have the authority as a believer in Christ. It's His power that you're taking initiative with because you're seated with Him on high. But what I want you to do is this. I'll call it the pick five initiative. As pastor, I always want to be honest with people. I got a prayer concern. I was up at midnight last night and somebody texted me something really 
really serious in their family that was just discovered. Text them back quickly. I'm not always up at midnight, so don't be texting me. We've been praying for Mike McDonald, who's at home from his surgery, looking at going into treatments probably next couple weeks because of his brain cancer. We've prayed for him. Who are you praying for? But when you pray, are you praying with power and authority? I want you to do this. I want you to pick just five. And so I've started to do this in my own life. I'm like, well, I'm praying for you specifically this week. No, I'm praying for you this week with that request. And I'll grab it and I'll put it in my mind. I write it on my heart. That person's name and their prayer request. And let me just start there. I'm not a powerful prayer warrior. I don't think of myself, but I can pray for five people. I have post-it notes up here. Amber, would you help me? I'll split the stack. You can just go down that row and one each way. Frank, would you? Just split it. I want you to grab a post-it note. And on this post-it note, you might already have the names. There's pins in front of you or in your purse or something. Who are the five people? And some of you, it's going to be blank. But this week, you're going to fill up your post-it note, and then I want you to put the post-it note on the mirror of your bathroom, the names. And we're going to be a household of prayer, and we're going to pray for one another, intercede for one another with all the power and the authority that Christ has given us in him. So will you do this? Do a pick five initiative. Now, from the one week to the next, you might roll over a name. Oh, I'm going to pray for that person again this week. But five people, ask Jesus to lead you to five people that you can pray for and intercede for them. Find out what their need is, their request is, and step up to the plate. Step up to the plate and let's see what God can do in and through your lives and in our life as a body of people. And let's pray for at least five people. Pick five. I don't think that's a difficult assignment. I don't normally give assignments, but we're back to school. We're back to church. This is your assignment. Let God initiate five people. It may be a physical need. It may be a spiritual need. They may be lost. They may be broken. They may need the Lord. They may need to grow up in the Lord, become rooted. Five people. It's your assignment. And next week, when you come to church, I want you to bring that post-it note back. You can stick it on a connect card here or something today, and where the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings or connect cards. The one you turn in, don't stick it on that, but stick it on an extra one. Take it home. Bring it back next week. I don't know if we're going to get there this week with all the renovations we want to do up here, but I've told you one of the things I want us to do is have a place of prayer. And I've asked Angela, make sure we're done with worship practice at 9.30. And from 9.30 to 10 till, I want you to come and I want you to pray for your person, but pray for the church and pray for God's work and all that happens on a Sunday morning, and pray for this valley. This is going to be a house of prayer. And I have some 
some simple ways to create a place for us to pray. That's one of the things we're going to craft this week. This year's assignment. Back to school. Back to church. It's not about just getting your body in a chair here. It's about understanding where you are seated in your heavenly realms and taken on that authority in Christ. So, Amber's a teacher right down here. You know what this is like, right? We had 250 people packed in here Friday night for Brightwood, which is an education center that's using our facility, and the parents and the students that are all here. And I was sitting in the back running the mic, and I was thinking to myself, God, we got such a responsibility to raise up children in this very difficult, challenging world. But so also we as a church to raise up disciples of Jesus. So I'm done. I want you to come and re-sing that 